This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. But a black stallion, a tiny emerald, and a battered horseshoe met a 24-hour delay. To the dude from Manhattan, they meant death. What does the music really mean, and what is it? It's just a language. It's a pulse. And, and if you can get in tune with it and learn how to capture it and ride it and push it when it's supposed to push and pull it when it, you're supposed to pull, then, then it's, it's something living and breathing, and it is like a force. Dave's rolling. Welcome to Abandoned Albums, the documentary podcast where we take a closer look at some albums that may have been forgotten about over time and some albums you may not be aware of. I'm your host, Keith R. Higgins. Co-piloting this episode of Abandoned Albums with me is once again Rob Janicki, writer and creator of the multimedia project Generation Riff. Hey, Rob. Hey, Keith. Good to see you again. Nice to have you again. Listen, uh, for the folks out there, can you tell us a little bit about what Generation Riff is? Generation Riff is an idea I had for a book, which I am currently writing, that morphed into a multimedia project, basically consisting of articles, essays, some video, all depicting music and culture and society of the 1990s. Starting with the early part of the decade, and then really actually starting with a little bit before the late 80s, and then what transpired through the 90s, um, and beyond. Very cool. Very cool. And where can folks learn more about Generation Riff? You can go to generationriff.com and there will be all of the social media links as well. Uh, Instagram and Twitter right now um, do not have a Facebook page for it. So on this episode of Abandoned Albums, Rob, we're going to talk about Unified Theory and their debut album from 2000. I know you're a big fan of Unified Theory. What can you tell us about the band? They're quite interesting because they were born out of the demise of another band, Blind Melon. Christopher Thorne and Brad Smith of Blind Melon formed Unified Theory along with Dave Cruzen, who was Pearl Jam's original drummer, the drummer who played on 10. They found Chris Shin to sing and help write the songs and the band just created a monster of a debut album. They had a second album after that one and then disbanded. But while they were around, they yes, they became one of my favorite bands. And I think they're highly, highly underrated.
Rob and I had a chance to speak with Christian, so let's uh, jump right into the conversation. Can I ask how how did you all come together? I was um, I've been I was in L.A. Uh, and got a phone call from my manager, and he asked if I knew who Christopher Thorne was. I, I didn't I didn't know him, and he goes, he's the guitar player in Blind Melon, and and uh, I said, oh, th- are they looking for a singer? Because it had only been a couple or a few years since Shannon had passed, and uh, you know I I I was a you know hot-headed, you know, know, know it all at that point, you know, 27, maybe years old. And <clears throat> I mean, I'd already said in my head, I'm not going to sing for Blind Melon because I got, I'm like, I got my shit to do, you know, it's like all like that. And Christopher was made it clear from the beginning, like that wasn't what he wanted to do. He had, he had rented a little apartment in LA, even though he was living in Seattle, he had rented a little apartment and had made it his mission to kind of find someone to work with. He didn't know what that meant. He didn't know you know, it wasn't, it was certainly not to be in Blind Melon. It was just what, you know, he wanted to find someone to be in a band with. And, and he came across my old bands, uh, one of my CDs for uh, Celia Green, which was a a band I I had before Unified Theory. And, and uh, Christopher and I met and just instantly we hit it off, got along great. We even talked about him joining my band for a minute. And that was still on the, on the table on, you know, because I said, well, look, let's get together with, my band a jam and, and he goes, well, come to Seattle too. We'll come up to Seattle and, and you got to meet Brad. And so I was like, okay, that was just going to be a couple days, you know, just to go up and visit. And that turned into two weeks. And then that's, it was like, okay, we're doing this, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the deal. And then I moved up to Seattle and that's kind of how that started. And Dave Cruzen just happened to be in town and was thought it'd be fun to get together and do that. He wasn't in the band just yet because he was still touring with Candlebox and we had to get we we went through a couple different other drummers that played on that record. Like uh, instead of running, it's got like my buddy Matthew Steer playing drums, and uh, we had a couple other guys on some of those songs. But as Dave was touring Candlebox, he'd call us from the back of the bus, and he's like, "Oh my God, I can't wait to get back and do this. This is what we want to do." So when he was when he joined full full on, we were we were complete. We couldn't wait to get started. It's awesome when it, when a plan comes together like that. It seemed so easy back then, and then like all these years later, how how fucking hard to come across that, and to you know you can be as talented as anyone out there, but to come across four individuals that that are willing to completely commit. I mean, to me, it's that's really what it's about. Is you just got to be a hundred percent because whatever music you make doesn't matter. Someone's going to hate it, and someone's going to love it. Doesn't matter what it is. Period. <laughs> Absolutely. The trick is to find your audience. When I was touring with live. What I one of the things that I would just blow my mind was some of the bands that would open for us or some of the shows we do with other bands I'd never heard of that were t- just awful. Thought they were fucking terrible, and I mean they had huge crowds and they were doing great. It's like, well, awesome. They're 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 just doing their thing and they found their audience. That's there's an if you know how to find your audience, then you're good. You're good. Yeah. More power to them. I, I have to say, I had not, and forgive me, I had not heard of you guys until Rob mentioned them to me. So I've only been turned on recently. Right. And often, like a lot of the albums we talk about, it still sounds just as modern. And I, it's 22 years old. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of it. I mean, we recorded all that stuff ourselves, recorded at Christopher and Brad's home studios. And yeah, I mean, to be fair, they each had ampeg you know they they each had tape like a studer tape machine they had api console we had an mci console brass i mean you know we we had the right gear 
but we would we, we'd make rough mixes and we would listen to like radiohead on the cd and listen to their mixes and try to like we'd ad to other things that we liked a lot and you know i i credit that to uh, christopher thorne he's a bad motherfucker now and uh, he when he was then too but yeah it is it's crazy to me it really does stand up without a doubt keith i'm glad you said that because i mean i'm the opposite end of that spectrum i, I was a fan still am a fan of blind melon and pearl jam and and everything that was going on in the early 90s yeah and i knew about you guys essentially from you know the rumors when things were were kind of swirling around after blind melon and you know what was happening next and right. uh, I, I went to one of your early shows in, in in new york city and so for keith to have that take i mean i have it i'm i'm a fan since the beginning so i do think it sounds great now as it you know as great now as it did then but it's refreshing to hear that somebody who's coming into it now yeah can still have that take i mean you have to remember we came about it the, the absolute worst time mm-hmm. um i mean we we uh when we got together and, and i i guess it might have been late 97 uh, around that time and and i went up to seattle just to see just to meet brad see how it would all go and I ended up spending two weeks and we recorded the song Cessna and Passive. We wrote those together mm-hmm. and recorded them and Dave Cruzen played on drum. I mean, it was just like magic happened. It was like we we were all very excited and uh, we spent the next year really making the record. By the time we went shopping for like an attorney and kind of start to go pitching the whole thing was right around the time that Napster had kicked in and started yeah. happening. And everyone was really freaked out. And then, you know, I remember uh, we were looking for a record deal and Interscope had just bought out Geffen Records and was shutting down a and I mean, all these and all these people that we had known for, you know, um, years before that from their Blind Melon days at Capitol and all and everyone that we knew were losing their jobs. And or if they were still working in A&R or with labels, they were. They had to work, you know, you know, 98 degrees or in sync or, or shit that they just had no interest in. But that was either that or lose your job. It was tough. And uh, and then, you know, the record comes out and uh, I mean, it's just it just sucked. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> the record got pretty favorable reviews. Yeah. Yeah. None of that shit ever really bothered me. I mean, I, I was so happy that we were we had created it. We, we were doing it. And um I, I felt like there was some other, you know, some of the guys might have felt, you know, because of the success that they had had before, you know, they they expected certain things and, and thought certain things would, would happen from the label that we had. And the label did mess up some stuff, but it wasn't, it really wasn't for lack of love for us. They, they just, they were just new. They didn't really know what they were doing. When you were just um, talking about when Keith had asked how you guys had gotten together and I had read the story before. So- I also wondered, um, and Keith and I spoke about this, I think, this morning. You know, at the time when you, when you were asked to join and, and you met Christopher and you went through all that, did it dawn on you that you were, you know, playing with guys, guys who had been in like massively successful bands? Yeah. Um, and hindsight being twenty twenty, uh, you know, you look you look back and you're like, wow, that that must have been crazy. But you said it earlier, I guess. You know, you 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 had your own vision of what you wanted to do so maybe you weren't thinking in those terms but can you talk about that like was it tough yeah, yeah. Involved no, with a, those it's, guys? it's sort of a common question and and i you know for me it 
that shit has never bothered me. I've never, ever had any sort of my belief system in, in, in all this stuff in life and what are we fucking doing here kind of stuff. Uh, it, when it comes down to like, well, you're just a dude. You're just a fucking guy. You know, you tell shitty jokes like I do. We hang out and we got the same sense of humor. You're just like I am. You like the same music. Your band just got had a big hit, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you had this spectacular tour. Um, I've just never I don't ever look at anyone as any, you know, we're all just people. And I, I mean, not not to water it down. And I'm not um, I just genuinely never look at it like that. I don't look at it as filling anyone's shoes or. Cause I wasn't doing Shannon. I wasn't trying like in live. I wasn't, I mean, I, I was being, I was singing these live songs and doing my, 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 my best with that. I didn't give a shit about what anyone really thought. Cause whatever circumstances led me to that situation was, was genuine and was real. And it wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. You know, the, it came yeah. to me right. and I embraced it. And like, you know, ultimately like, this is my life that I'm living. This is my perspective, my life, what I'm seeing I have to just take advantage of what I've got and go full force with it because someone's going to hate it. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. What we loved about the 90s and some of those bands is, is suddenly the shit started to get real honest and super real and dark. It got dark. And and Alice in Chains, some of this shit that came out was fucking dark. Yep. And and it, it, there was an honesty to it that resonated <laughs> with everyone because we were so tired of the of the the fucking glam rock and like the the poisons and the bands like that. There were just there nothing there. It was vapid. One hundred percent. So that's that's really the trick, yeah. you know. It's so it's not it's not so much about you know music is such art is such a bizarre thing because it's really you know is it art is that art? Of course it's art. What, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? So talent really has nothing to do with how high or low you can sing or how perfect your pitch is. It's what are you telling me? What are you saying? And when you hear someone telling you the truth, you know it. We instinctively as humans know it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that that is, you know, and so I have a, a rock solid faith in that. So that's where I don't get afraid of yeah. what people think, because I know that what I'm doing is coming from an honest place. So you can't hate on me. If, if I had spent forever trying to be Shannon Hoon and dressing like him and practicing like him and do, and then trying to be that and then failing and that that's something that's not me. It's just, it's its own perfect, you know, outlier type of thing. This, the situations that I've been through that, that put me in front of Christopher and Brad and Dave, and then the same, but live and, and someone say like Wes Borland and these other guys that I've known, I, I I don't know if it's um it's just a belief system. That answer is great because there's there's it's not just the words. In my mm-hmm. opinion, there's proof of that answer in the music.
one of the things that always struck me about the record. I, I was always curious about the songwriting and also the lyric writing. Was it collaborative? Did you write all the lyrics and everyone work on the music? How did it? No, did no. It? So we would, um, well, for instance, like a song like Cessna was just, I put, I wrote all that guitar and melodies for that, for the most part. That was kind of a one and done. And then we all got together and wrote the lyrics together. And we would, we would really bust our asses on the lyrics and would sit around with our notebooks and would just rack our brains and want to kill each other and would write <laughs> thousands of different versions of a chorus and probably why I do the opposite now. Like I, I think all that shit tra traumatized me. <laughs> I, oh my God. But yeah, no, we, we really, really worked hard and, and we bring in different ideas and, you know, everyone having, you know, Brad and Christopher having their, their own studios. We would say like, like a song, like uh passive that has the big, horn section that comes in and all that mm -hmm. was that that was something that brad you know orchestrated played himself he played the tuba he played that he played all these crazy flutes and all these things and he would do that at home in his studio and then bring it over and then we'd fly it into the mix we were working on and and so it, it you know and then christopher would take a whole day or whatever just to work on his guitar parts and he would sit in front of the console with his all his pedals and would come up with these parts but he needed his time to do that it wasn't just so much on on the fly Passive is a great example of if I'm going to introduce the record to somebody, I might play that song first. Yeah. You know, yeah. just because it's it, there's layers and depth and, you know, yeah. there's so much happening. You know, lyrics are a pretty important part as far as I'm concerned in, in music. And I think they um, on this record, they sound sort of or they, they, they kind of have this message. I felt like there's a lot of religious Im imagery. Mm -hmm. um going on yeah yeah absolutely i was listening to it on the way here and i'm like oh. yeah yeah there was a lot of that kind of stuff i don't know where i'm not sure where that was all coming from but um it worked wherever it yeah, came from yeah it did, it did I mean, work brad brad i mean probably brad probably wrote i would say a, a larger percentage of lyrics but certain songs were kind of you know were mine like instead of running kind of came out in like uh am radio where it was mine and hi kids hi kids let's all sing the kids song going back were you always singing were you you know you hear these stories about in a choir i was in a church choir and blah, 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 blah. no no i i um i i started playing guitar just sort of taught myself at, um uh at a very young age probably like 14 or something and and um, um, I just instinctively tuned it open like a drop D, you know, because just in my head, I wanted it to sound like the chord Marty hit in Back to the Future when he gets thrown in the back of it, which, you know, like a, just a big bar chord. And so yeah. I instinctively just sort of tuned it open and I would use one finger and would play, you know, I was, I was a little skater kid back then and I'd listen to like DRI and Dead Kennedys and, mm. and shit like that, you know, and so I would, I would play, you know, and just learn, I could learn these things. And then that's sort of, I had a little Mel Bay guitar book and, and taught myself how to tune it. And I took a handful of lessons and it's, they basically just gave me all the major minor chords to learn. And I'm like that, well, I could do that. And, um, yeah. that, that's, that's kind of how that started. And I played in like a little cover band in seventh grade, eighth grade. And I didn't sing at first. I was terrified of that. I, we had some guy that was <laughs> in all the plays in school that had the, had balls to actually sing in front of people. And uh, but he never could come to rehearsal because he lived far away. And we had this tiny little keyboard amp that, I, that we'd sing through. I learned that you couldn't hear the vocal unless you sang high. 
So instead of singing like Lue Lue, oh, I'd sing Lue Lue. I'd sing high, and and that's just where I I've learned that I could do all that. And they used to build us in clubs when we were in high school. It's like a it's like a um, a young Getty Lee or something. You know, I could I could do that really high. You know, <laughs> shit. Um, but that's it's always been what I've done. I've always been uh, a singer and didn't go to college. I went straight, got my GED actually, and went to California at like, when I was like eight, 17, 18. You'd probably never had a day job where you had to wear a tie and sling shit and do that sort of stuff. Yeah. I've been very lucky with that. I mean, I'm also lucky. My, I got a rich father that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Um, and he's a big believer in me and he's, uh, he's, he's helped me through a lot of different situations, but but when I moved to LA, I was—I mean, I, I got a—I got a publishing deal like almost right off the right off the plane. I mean, yeah, I got a huge publishing deal. That's incredible. Which was inc- crazy. I'd never really worked a job day, ever, and then all of a sudden, I got this giant check, and that's kind of you know. And then once something like that happens, it just re reaffirms everyone's commitment to me, like my my family and 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 friends, and for sure. How did you land a publishing deal right off the plane? I mean, that's- well, I had a so I had a manager when I moved out. It, it was sort of he kind of acted as sort of babysitter slash uh, manager, and me and my my one of my best friends um, Benji Hughes moved out there together. He he moved with me, and Benji's an amazing singer songwriter. If you don't know him, you need to look him up. But Benji and I moved out there, and we lived in we moved into the duplex, the house the the, the duplex below where my manager and his wife lives. So we were kind of right there. That's how my dad allowed me to do all that. And my manager started sending off. He, oh, the, it's a great story. Cause he wasn't, he was going to send out the stuff for a publishing deal when he thought I was ready. Right. But at the time he managed, get this, he managed, um, not the Thompson twins. Um, it's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Pure energy. Oh, Information Society? Information Society. <laughs> he managed them. And the guy, the guy in the band, the guy in that band was was looking for a publishing deal. So he sent what he thought was a cassette of his stuff to Chrysalis Publishing. And the guy, Cliff Canner, who worked there, got the cassette. And he wasn't a big Information Society fan, but he knew my manager's like, I'll listen to this and see. And he put it on, and it was my stuff. It was my like <laughs> four-track stuff, like really lo-fi. And he and he loved it and called it. He goes, man, this new information society is amazing. It's like totally different turn, and I don't know what it is. And this one song, blah blah blah. Donnie's like, oh mm-hmm. shit. And literally, like maybe two weeks later, I was in there signing a deal. What you're saying is technically, for a minute, you were also in information yeah. society. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In the eyes exactly. of at least one person. I had not thought about that in a million years. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this commercial is going to use subliminal, subliminal, subliminal advertising. This way you sit back, relax, and enjoy me as I tell you this uh, rather funny story. 
when live happened, it came at a very convenient time for me. I was, I was really in a dark place and, um, live just fell on my lap. That whole thing just sort of mm-hmm. came out of nowhere. And, uh, I, I committed a hundred thousand percent. I'm like, I, I just, I quit whatever I was doing and just gave that everything. So for it to end the way it did was just really heartbreaking to me, uh, at least in how they handled it, which was just very shitty and and poorly done. But if you look at, you know, if those guys were really good at at personal relationships, they would have never had a problem in the first place. And I would have never been in a band to begin with. Very good point. You you can argue that point. It doesn't mean I don't love those guys. It's just, it's just, we're not all good at everything, you know, and there's there's just something that they, they fail at miserably. So I, 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 I had a, I struggled with with a lot of that, um, you know, the, the your 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 narcissistic wound, you know, that like wh- what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do. I had a ton to do with that record, but um, which is why it hurt that they take it down. I just said, yeah. what? It says more about them than it does about anything else. It it doesn't. You should, yeah. you know, if if they had, if you just own up to, you go, hey, we'd had this was a chapter in our life. And, you know, it, it served us well. And, and it was we had a lot of fun and we worked our asses off. We had Jerry Harrison make a great record for us. Yeah. You know, but, you know, life happens. We're back with Ed. Great. I had never would have a problem with that ever. And I still right. don't. Right. Um, it's just it's just very peculiar. And, and, and it'll really get, let you see what's underneath and, and the, the, the some of the narcissism and the weird stuff that goes along with it. It really puts a big foul taste in my mouth to the point that I just almost just want to be completely separate from that i I don't want um i've needed some time for that to just go away you know you understand like i need that i needed that to fizzle out and i feel that since it to me it has and then uh and then i had a really rough time during the covid thing with the the lockdown was really dark very very dark for me and I, i i started to retreat inward and got back in touch with the artist the person the guy that the guy that Christopher met, you know, mm-hmm. that started Unified Theory, that guy, I realized I have not been that guy in 10, 15 years. I've been, yeah. I've been, I've been something else. Now I'm able to um, really come back out as the guy that I don't think anyone's really heard from in, in forever. Mm-hmm. I, I, wanted, I wanted to go back to uh, one of Keith's questions a few minutes ago about, um, you know, how you started singing. And it, it got me thinking about you know, who are some of your influences, not necessarily as singers, but that you, you can mention them if you want, but just yeah. as, as bands, like, you know, because you mentioned some of the punk bands, you know, yeah. um, a few minutes ago, but like growing up, who? Jeff Buckley is the obvious one, but but yeah. Jeff, for, for um, a reason that like when he died, I remember being at that place in L.A. I, t- I told you about when I moved out there and when great when I first heard Grace in that record, I I, that was my first oh shit moment in in music because up to that point I didn't fear anybody. I'm like I got my own thing and I'm not worried about. When I heard Jeff Buckley, I was like I'm fucked. This guy is the shit, and I this is everything I would hope to maybe get to. You know, is what he was already doing. And then when he when he died, I just sort of I internalized. I, I took it as like I need to share his music i need to perpetuate his now that he's no longer here and there aren't a lot of guys that can do what what he what he did i mean i'm good good friends with jimmy necco now from the band hours and jimmy jimmy can sing like that shit and he's you know there's a few guys that have kind of carried the torch 
So Jeff obviously was a huge, huge deal for me. I think maybe the biggest is probably Peter Gabriel and um, just all of it, you know, um, from just everything about the guy is, 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 uh, is what I, I mirror. Um, I, I like that he, he's all over the place. His take on just the community of music in the world and, and, uh, I just, you know, it d- d- does not matter how old that guy gets. It's his, he is still as relevant as anything ever. I just, I couldn't love the guy more. Nina Simone was a big one for me. Uh, when I first heard Nina Simone, I felt like I had, I, 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 you remember that scene in Jerk when he hears the music on the radio and he starts tapping his feet together and he like finds <laughs> the whitest music in the whole world. It's like, <laughs> ah. that's kind of how yeah. I felt like when I first heard Nina Simone, that's how I felt. Like, where, where has this been? Like it, it resonated with me. Like it sounded like my mother singing to me or there was something that was, it was hitting me in a spot that like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. You know, that's what I've, I'm always looking for. And really all it is, is just bare, bare bones, honest, honesty stuff. The stuff I'm doing now, the stuff I sing now on my own things, I do not spend a lot of time at all over overthinking it. I'll do one or two, three passes of something. I'll make up shit as I go. And then I'll just comp together what sounds right. I don't, I, I, I've just learned that so many people take, they just suck the life out of, out of what they do because you can, you can go through with these computers and, you know, like with drums, you know, you want it to be perfect. But what you forget is the space between where you put a bass drum and a snare is, wh- is where your voice is. So it's, it, can, it shouldn't be perfect. Because our ears notice these slight movements. And it is like breathing. It's like if you're not, you're never really standing still. You're kind of always moving. You're kind of, that's real. There's something real about that. And, and, and I've noticed that as I got older, I started taking all the reverbs and the delays off my vocal. I just wanted it to be right in your face. And I thought that there was something really ballsy about this is just what my voice sounds like. You know, this is just what's coming out of my face. And it, I'm not trying to make it sound like anything else. And um, that's where that's where it's that's where it's at for me. Like when I hear Nina Simone, that's what I get. Yeah. I get. Yeah. That. Now, that makes that makes a lot of sense, um, especially the way you're just describing. And the Peter Gabriel um, uh, comment really made sense to me because, you know, there's this theatrical sense or side yeah. or sound to him that you also have. And there's also you know, you can't pin him down to a sound because right. he changes and he evolves and right. he morphs into different things. And if you look at your career, um, right, right up until now with some of your, the, the stuff you're doing now, because I, mm-hmm. I, I listened to that as well. Mm-hmm. You, you do have, you know, adventurous side where you're going to tackle different things. It's not all the same. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, that, you know, growing up listening to Peter Gabriel really has, you know, done justice mm-hmm. because it, it I, I can hear it i guess yeah yeah i have a hard time listening to to most most modern music because i i mean you know it's like it's like uh you know watching a movie and you know that it's they took a ride on one street and you live in that town you're like that's not what's right that they're, they're now they're on the other side of town you know it's like you can't <laughs> pull the wool over everyone's eyes and so for me, listening to a lot of music is this, it's that it's kind of ruined for me in a way because I know it all goes into it to make those bits work. So you got to be clever with it, and it's why something like Billie Eilish is so cool because you know they and they made it in their fucking house with the you know the shit, same shit everyone else has got, um, mm-hmm. and it's you know I know it pisses a lot of people off who have these million dollar studios, but 
hey, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Music has this way of, of just being right for when yeah. you need it to be right, regardless yes. of whether it's the lyrics or the music. It all kind of comes together with certain artists. And um, maybe some of that's missing now. So it's kind of cool to hear that you're working on stuff and creating stuff that might well, have I, I, some of know, that back funny. in it. I've, I've been sitting on all this music and it's been, it's really stressed me out and I've, I've had massive issues with it because I, I just don't know what to fucking do. Cause the thing is it's, it's, it means so much to me because the music, I don't make music with the thought of what are people going to think? I don't, it's not like that. Like I will literally get an idea in my head and if I don't flush it out, it'll drive me crazy. Hmm. I will sit and obsess about it. And think I just need to get it out. So the trick is, you know, learning how to do it all by myself. So I'm playing the drums, bass, and doing everything. Mm. So everything wow. I, I basically just sort of pretended like, well, I'll I'll be the best drummer that I imagine. And it's like I like I need to be like my buddy Jason Gherkin from the band Shiner, who I work with from time to time, and and or Dave. I, I need a Dave Cruz. And what would Dave do here? And I kind of just channel that and. And then I'm good with editing too. So it's, I mean, I'm not a bad drummer. I've gotten pretty good, good enough for me. And that's all that matters, you know, but learning how to do it is a powerful, powerful thing. Cause I can have an idea and come up to the studio. And by the end of the day, have something that sounds like a, like a, a record, a done version. And, and, and I attribute a lot of that to, I'm, I'm not precious anymore about a lot of this stuff. And, and I'm, I'm very forgiving of myself. And the newest thing I'm working on is with uh, my old bass player, from my band everything is energy and thomas and i have gotten back together and we started this little project i have he came to town re recently and we just barely had anything to start with and left with four songs we're going to put those four songs out real soon good and mm -hmm. then i'm going to joshua tree in, a, in like three weeks and we booked like three days with uh, our friend dave catching out there at uh at rancho and we'll be out there and i don't even know what we're going to record yet awesome let me ask you this you mentioned Joshua Tree, and I think earlier you said Christopher lives out in Joshua Tree or has a house out there. Was there a chance of him coming in? Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's funny. I, um, I'll, I will get him to play on some stuff, too. I mean, Christopher and I are still very close, and his his studio is right next door to Rancho. I mean, it's like a, you could throw a rock at it. Um, and uh, it's great because he's, got, he's, got, he's still got his console that we had, we tracked on back in the day, and I really love that guy, and, and uh, I can't wait to see him. Spend counting the days. 
so yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll have them over to make some noise and, and uh, it's, it's going to be good. We're calling it prostitutes. Oh, that's marketable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you talk about a, a couple of guys who couldn't give a shit less. <laughs> uh, we, we, we really, we really don't. When can we anticipate that? This year is going to, I plan this year is going to be all about putting everything as much as, as much as I can out. And, um, I've just got to do it for my own sanity. You know, I, I just need to clear, to clear my shelves and to clear everything off. And so I can move forward. I really appreciate the time you've given us and, and the things we've discussed. It's been really, really insightful. No, thanks for reaching out. And I, you know, I, I, I hope that everyone knows and, and, you know, just how much I love Christopher and I love Brad and Dave and, I wish I'd see more of them, you know, uh, I'm going to see Christopher very soon, but, uh, I would love one day to, if we could ever work together again, I know that there's some, there's some things in, 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 in the way that's relationships that, that get, that get, gets complicated, but, yeah. um, uh, I hope if, if I hope if they hear this that if, if I got anything wrong, I, I certainly apologize. Well, <laughs> if, if they do, if they do hear this from, from the fans perspective, um, you guys made two killer albums. There's a fan base out there. They love. There's yeah. a lot of people who love oh, these no. records. I know it. I know it. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool, Chris. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot, fellas. I I really enjoyed it. it I did nice. too. I did too. And thanks, thanks so much. So did I, yeah, man. Really appreciate it. it. I will hit the road again. I, I I do miss it. Well, you're gonna play New York, no question. Yeah, New York. Yeah. And, and Keith's not that far up in Connecticut, so we can we can do a New York uh, uh, trip Sweet. for sure, and the whole Northeast. Like it's it's easy. Thank you, guys. Right. I appreciate Thanks. it, and I look forward to hearing it. Absolutely. Take care, man. Take care. Take care. All right, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Abandoned Albums was recorded at Thunder Love Studios. Produced and written by Keith R. Higgins and Rob Janicki. Engineered and mixed by Steve Beasley. Original music by Mike Pellegrino. The Unified Theory songs you heard during this podcast were Instead of Running, Wither, and Passive. There is also a clip of Information Society's What's On Your Mind, Pure Energy. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. At Twitter, we are at Abandon Albums. And on Instagram, we are at Abandon underscore Albums. Many thanks to Chris Shin and the rest of the guys from Unified Theory. Christopher Thorne, Brad Smith, and Dave Cruzen. As always, thanks to Rob Janicki, S.W. Loudon, Nathan Sage, Steve Beasley, Mike Pellegrino, Therina Bella, and of course, our executive producer, Rufus Thunderlove. Both Unified Theory albums are available to stream on your favorite streaming service. Music is sounds, and so the sounds of just the voice is important to me, but not necessarily what the words are. Sometimes trying to say something over a beautiful song is like, get out of the way. Let the, mu- the music is speaking so loud that, uh, you know, sometimes I can't stand when singers will ruin a good track with their stupid voices. <laughs> And now until we meet again next time, I remain as always obediently yours.